0: Mayo, a couple weeks ago after we finished recording you, I messaged me and said you had a fall detection story you wanted to tell. Your exact wording was you tested fall detection. (laughs) And just, I want to paint the picture of what showed up in my mind when you told me what happened. So like, it's the end of the day, you just finished your work, you're in the kitchen, you're making a cup of tea, having your dinner. Then based on what you said, you basically fell out of nowhere, slammed into the side of a cabinet. Broke your glass, and then bruised yourself up quite a bit. So first all, first of all, is that like the accurate picture? And that's second, not, that's are accurate. you okay? Are I was you okay? doing,
1: I did a workout before that, like a at home workout thing, which maybe like I don't know. Oh you yeah, you were lightheaded. You yeah, maybe yeah. a bit dizzy or whatever. But I was, I was feeling fine or whatever. I think it was just like a genuine accident, and I was drinking water out of a glass while I was like walking out the room and i tripped on something (laughs) which then made me start to slip over and i think my brain was like doing the oh don't let the glass smash kind of dance yeah so you know you like overcompensate to like try and protect the glass but then that actually means you fall anyway so yeah the the protect the glass uh, objective completely failed because i literally slammed (laughs) over uh straight into this like side cabinet thing i've got the glass got like jumped out my hand smashed (laughs) over the floor and then i was uh like, basically bounced off the cabinet onto the floor as well. Uh, so, probably the worst fall I've had in a, as long as I can remember, really, like, since I've been really young. Just a random accident, fingers crossed. Uh, I'm fine. Uh, but, yeah, I then I had to, like, sweep a of glass up and I had some massive <laughs> bruise down the side. Uh, but what I noticed after, uh, in the aftermath, was that my Apple Watch didn't go off. And I was like, oh, I guess hmm. I tested fall detection and it doesn't work. But when we were talking, I then checked the setting... And it made the story even more interesting because I knew that full detection was off by default unless you're over a certain age because we've obviously spoken about that before. And you have yeah. to be like over 65 or something for it to be on by on automatically. But I swear I'd gone and turned it on manually because, you know, in years ago when I got the got the Series 4 or whatever, I was like, I, I think I'm pretty sure I turned full detection on because I've had it pop up accidentally before. Um, mm-hmm. Like, a false positive false positive trigger when I've just been, like, I don't know, playing around or whatever, and then it went off. Um, so, I was a bit weird, that I literally had the biggest, like, fall of my life, probably, or at least, you know, as an adult, and uh, nothing happened. But then when I actually went in the settings, I was like, oh, fall detection's on. But then I looked at the little thing below, and it's only... The setting is only on during workouts. I was like, huh. Well, that explains why it didn't go off, because I wasn't yeah. in a workout. But what kind of setting is that? Like... <laughs> You literally, you know, so the options are there's a, there's a toggle of full detection on and off, and then there's always on, and then there's only on during workouts. They're the two sub-options you can choose from. Right. And somehow it was on only on during workouts. I swear I've had it on always on mode before, but, you know, when you're going through beta cycles and stuff, sometimes the settings get reset, whatever.
0: But only on during workouts. How unuseful is that setting? Like, It's like I would want it on during certain workouts probably, but the only on during workouts, it's what's weird. Like always on. I think always on should be the default, regardless of age. But like, I understand the age, whatever requirement that they have. But that always on during but only during workouts is weird. Because you and the interface wanted- is weird too, where there's like that big toggle for fall detection, and then the two sub options.
1: And like, the the obviously the reason it's not on by default is to reduce the amount of false positives, I guess. Right. but Only on during workouts is like. The opposite, I feel like, of the false positives, because surely when you're doing, you know, when you're exerting yourself doing a workout, you're more likely to trigger the fall detection algorithm mm-hmm. incorrectly. And in fact, and there's a massive paragraph of text below this setting in the Watch app, it says, the more physically active you are, the more likely you are to trigger fall detection due to high-impact activity that can appear to be a fall. Enabling fall detection only during workouts may reduce false detections. But surely you're doing high-impact activity during a workout, so that doesn't really yeah.
0: <laughs> follow logically. Yeah. Um, I just checked and mine is also set to only on during workouts, which that doesn't. I don't think I ever set that like that. I feel like something changed at some point.
1: Because I'm, I'm not sure that only on during workout settings was always there. So no, I maybe not. whenever it got added, they just defaulted everybody to that that was under age or whatever. Um, yeah, because anyway, that's a bizarre thing. So if you are, if you do think you uh, are being safety conscious and have that setting turned on, maybe double check that you actually do have it on and not just only on during workouts because i feel like the times that you fall are when you're not doing workout stuff <laughs> um you know you're just walking down the stairs or whatever and you trip over or something um, so only on during workouts kind of makes the feature you might as well have it switched off at that point is would be my
0: summarization don't end up like mayo laying on the floor of your kitchen waiting for your apple watch to kick in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily i didn't go unconscious or anything <laughs> At first, I when you told me that I figured you were rushing up to your TV in the living room again because you found another dead pixel and you fell over your coffee table or something. <laughs> that's that's where I thought the story was going, but unfortunately, I mean, it was it walking
1: out of the living room, but it wasn't rushing to the TV. The floor's just like like wood, so or like fake yeah. wood, so it probably was just like it was like sticky or whatever, and I just like tripped up on it and then tried to overcompensate with the glass in my hand and ultimately went led to a uh, swift fall, but. Uh, I'm all right. It was a funny, funny story. And uh, I learned something new about Apple Watch Fall Detection that I didn't realize Yeah, before. me too.
0: In probably a far less exciting topic, Apple earnings are here. They made a lot of money, but not as much money as they had hoped, I guess. So revenue I think it was, was in line
1: with expectations, but the expectations is yeah. just very low at the moment. Um, they reported, what was it, $81.79 billion total revenue down... And you know, pull one out for the executive team. here, down one year year-on-year. One uh. percent. Yeah. Um. Profit came in at nineteen point eight eight billion, so about twenty. Uh, which is actually up five percent over year because they have improving gross margins. Uh, some of that comes from improving gross margins on hardware and like raw components, and some of that is just the bigger share of services. Services right. higher margin than products than hardware products. So. You know, if overall revenue stays flat, but there's a bigger percentage coming from services, uh, then their overall you know profitability goes up. Uh, Obviously, it was um, you know, I think I think uh, like Wall Street kind of expected slightly better numbers because the stock has been falling uh, since the earnings report came out. It's down you know five ten percent or whatever. Uh, they fell under faster. a trillion dollars, I think. Right a under trillion three dollar. trillion. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Big cry out for them um, one thing I did want to call out specifically uh, was they talked obviously you know with their most of their other businesses in the negative in terms of year-over-year revenue uh, they did tout up services which was up eight percent and they said for the first time they now have over one billion paid subscriptions on their platforms which is I guess in, in line because they had like 960 million or whatever last quarter and they been yeah. adding like 40 million or so each, each quarter but you have to be really careful how you t- interpret that number because it's very, mm-hmm. like, you know, at a surface level, it's pretty misleading because 1 billion paid subscriptions does not mean that a billion people subscribe to, like, what you would think of as Apple services, you know, Apple Music, Apple TV, Apple Arcade, iCloud, that kind of thing. Services in the financial sense on Apple's investor reports includes the App Store. And so when they say over 1 billion paid subscriptions, they mean they in that 1 billion, they count in-app purchase subscriptions. And, you know, just based on the law of numbers, you can see that the majority of that one billion number is not Apple subscriptions. It's gonna be third party subscriptions. You know, maybe they're ninety-nine cents, maybe they're two dollars, maybe they're ten dollars a week, and Apple gets fifteen to thirty percent cut of that depending on the situation. So of that one billion number, you know, maybe you can be generous, let's say half. Half is the App Store, half is Apple's own stuff, but I think it's probably more like yeah, seventy percent or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and because then the most that's... popular Apple service is Apple Music, and the last time whoa, they gave oh is it what else would it be?
1: I think iCloud might be really
0: yeah I guess maybe
1: it's got to be close right. And the last time they announced Apple Music numbers was 2019 at 60 million yeah subscribers. So that's four years ago, and from all intents and purposes, it seems like Apple Music's doing pretty well. So mm-hmm. you know they're probably up to what like 90 million something around that level in terms of yeah. Apple Music Sounds subscribers right. yeah. So let's say 90 million of a billion, so that's 10%. Let's assume iCloud's the same as that. This is just, you know, very rough estimates. That That's actually 200 million. Then I think you're struggling to make another 100 million out of what Apple has, right? Like, yeah. TV's probably in, like, the 20, 30 million range. Arcade's probably in, like, the 10 million range. News, how everybody knows, you know... You, and then you probably have to include Apple Care because they probably count that as a subscription because now you can buy oh, a yeah. subscription. And they even count um, the developer membership. <laughs> so, you know, the $99 a year. That counts as a subscription now because you can buy it without a purchase. So, you know, you're probably getting around 300 million Apple subscriptions, I would guess. But this is all a guess because Apple won't tell yeah. you. Um, so you have that $1 billion number. So A, it is split between third parties and you know Apple's actual content services which I do think is a bit of a swizz and Apple probably I'm surprised there hasn't been more pressure from the investor groups to like break out that number more because like on the hardware front Apple stopped rep- reporting unit sales in 2018 after the iPhone 10 and 10-hour cycle kind of disappointed um, but they do continue to report revenue so you know Mac, iPad, wearables and iPhone also report revenue breakouts. So by hardware division, you know, you know roughly which category is doing well and which not. So, but services is more diverse than hardware. You know, it has we just listed about five. There's like ten different services that that contribute to yeah. that, and they don't break out at all. You just get that one number of twenty one point two one billion, uh, which is kind of crazy. Because then, as well as the one billion paid subscriptions, you know mixing Apple subscriptions, third-party subscriptions, and the third-party subscriptions are somewhat at risk on the basis of the, you know, the anti-monopoly regulatory environment that keeps circling the App Store. Um, that's also not users, right? Like, 1 billion paid subscriptions is represents how many users, do you think? Because most people who have a subscription probably have more than one. So you've got to divide a billion, what, by like five, probably? Like 200 million subscribers in terms of actual in the unique people, probably? Something along those lines. And then I have questions like, how does Apple One get counted? If you have mm-hmm. Apple Music and iCloud, then I guess that's two subscriptions. But if you have Apple, Apple One, does that count as one or does that count as six because you're getting every service? If you have a one Apple One Premier, like the numbers get very murky very quickly. Um and it just feels a bit of a bit uh, as like Apple keeps having these quarters where their hardware revenue is either negligible revenue growth or declining. Yeah. And then their services are like doing well. But then you really have no visibility into it whatsoever. So if I was an investor, I'd be wanting more information there for sure. But they don't really get taken to task
0: at the moment. What do you think about like in terms of that revenue number? My assumption is that the vast majority of it is the App Store subscriptions because that oh I don't know is because Apple Music, if we establish that that's probably the most popular and it's x $10 a month. Do we think that that's where the vast majority of that revenue is coming from, or is it from the fifteen percent, thirty percent from the app store?
1: Well, if you have, let's say, you, let's say you're a hundred million Apple Music users, right, paying ten dollars yeah. a month, that's a billion a month. So that's three billion maximum a quarter, right? So if you've yeah. got 20, you minus you 3, you've still got 17 to account for. Yeah, um,
0: exactly.
1: I assume App Store subscriptions take up a lot of that revenue. And I don't know, this is something that a like, financial person would know for sure, is whether they count, like in that revenue number, do they count the 30% as the revenue, or do they count the 100% and then they only take 30% profit out of it? It's probably the latter, right? Oh, uh, so yeah. I, th- I think that they probably do rack up most of that as third-party revenue. Um, once you take out Apple Music... And th- I believe the Google search deal counts in the services group as well. So, oh yeah, it does. So that's a, probably like a billion a quarter, something along those lines. Um, but you know, you can take out a fair few number of billions. You You've still got a lot of billions left over, and that's <laughs> probably the App Store. You know, that's what that's Go- what's accounted by the App Store.
0: The Google search things another regulatory problem that might be that might cause them to to lose that revenue, which would be yeah, a pretty it's, big possible. Hit. it's possible. It's yeah. possible, or they might
1: just be forced to. Um, the thing with the Google thing is that they so basically, the, if people aren't aware, Google pays somewhere in the region of ten billion a year to be the default search option on iOS and on Mac. Um, but Apple doesn't really limit you there from changing. I mean, they offer five options in total in Safari settings, so you're only paying to be the default. So anti-competitive wise, it's hard to really argue that I think because you can change very easily, and mm-hmm. you can, you know, they quote unquote have third-party browsers available. Um, so you can go and download a third-party browser that can use whatever search engine it wants. So, like, I know, I know that has come up the search deal, but it's more come up on the side of Google being anti-competitive to other search engine makers than it has been to Apple. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how that shakes out because, like, if 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 it was a situation where Safari only supported Google search in that bar and nothing else, it would be more anti-competitive for sure. But because like you're only paying apple's uh, Google's only paying just to be the default option, and the other options are you know Bing, Yahoo, DuckDuckGo. Ecosia and something else i think like it's hard to uh hard to really nail them down on that one the app stores are much bigger much bigger target which is you know at least in the eu is going to come into force by the spring
0: so the number in 2022 for google's payments to apple according this is like analyst data but they say 18 billion to 20 billion
1: yeah that sounds high to me i mean yeah i'm not saying i know better but that does sound too high uh Again, no one knows because Apple doesn't break it out, uh, and they don't talk about it. But eighteen billion sounds really high. Uh,
0: if yeah. that deal does fall apart at some point, then it'll be pretty easy to deduce what exactly happened when you see a yeah, because eighteen billion, billion is an like entire drop. quarter
1: of services yeah, revenue. Yeah, exactly. Like it's way too much. It can't be eighteen billion a year. It just can't be. Um, it'll be a uh, you know many billions, but eighteen billion seems insane. Uh, the other interesting thing was about the Mac revenue, right? That's expected to fall a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for this quarter, they said it was down about 7%, but then for the fourth quarter, so the September quarter, they said double-digit year-over-year decline. And obviously, they're still like coming off the high of the first Apple Silicon Max and the pandemic and some of the delayed buying because of just the supply shortages because of the pandemic, but a double-digit quarter drop, that seems like a lot, and my thinking here, I wonder is if the Apple Silicon Macs are like too good. So the upgrade cycle is just getting longer and longer. And that kind of ties into something they said during the call too, where they said half of all Mac buyers during Q3 were new to the Mac. I imagine that percentage is only going to go up if people are holding onto their computers longer, just because Apple Silicon Macs are so good.
1: Yeah, it's hard it's still hard to um disentangle the pandemic boost I think there from, right. you know loads of people bought new computers to work from home and whatnot. I think part of it if you're looking at the year over year compare is the 13-inch MacBook Air was with M2 launched this time last year, right? So that's what they're comparing against this time. And you could argue that the 15 inch came out, so that kind of counterbalances kind of it, but I think the 13-inch was a much bigger deal for people, like a lot of people jumped on that. Um and then they don't have probably any new Macs launching in this current quarter? Uh, no, October. Just of how the cycle works around. So yeah, we're not expecting new Macs until the
0: f- like the actual fall, So the quarter after yeah.
1: this current one, uh, the, kind of the November, December,
0: January time period. And the 15-inch MacBook Air. There's already been a supply chain report that says Apple overestimated the demand, and it's not selling as well as they thought. And they're actually like going to have to halt production and just kind of sell through what they have so maybe they were banking on the 13 inch coming out earlier alongside the 15 inch and the delays just meant people who needed a mac couldn't wait for that 15 inch and just had to buy the 13 inch instead but it doesn't seem like the 15 inch is keeping up with what we saw last year which is the ipad was also
1: really down this quarter like i think estimates were like six and a half billion and it did 5.79 i think i think and again you can probably account a lot of that to pandemic readjustment right yeah. like ipad and mac sales did so well in 2020 2021 it was like the perfect combination of you know pandemic work from home and then the apple silicon transition and, and so- a lot of
0: that, those sales too were weren't people buying with their own money like they got work from home stipends and stuff to offset the the cost of buying a new ipad or a mac and if they didn't buy it with their with their own money, the chances of them spending their own money now to buy a new one is s- slim to none for most people. But you know what the solution to all of Apple's struggles this quarter? That 1% drop in revenue? The story that's been making the rounds again this week? And I know you love this story, Mayo. <laughs> Apple's going to buy Disney, right? Is that? No, they're not. That's, right. what they, that's what the analysts say.
1: Yeah, financial analysts literally talk about Apple buying Disney every year for the last,
0: as long as I can remember. When Bob Iger took back over as CEO, I think that was one of the first things he got asked. And at that point in time, he said, like, it's not even on the table.
1: Yeah, and he's kind of come back around because, you know, Disney's not doing too great. I mean, they're doing okay, but they're not, like, popping off, right? And so, and they're, they're going through a transition of... um moving away from a cable bundle where they get guaranteed money every month from a single subscriber to a direct to consumer stream model and so their traditional linear businesses are on the gradual decline so like their tv networks mm-hmm. espn um, disney plus is doing okay but it hasn't reached profitability yet um like so you know iger has been out there telling him he's going to sell everything and people are like well if he sells everything then apple <laughs> could just come in and pick up what's left it's like it's not that simple right like even if you sell Let's say you sell all the linear TV networks, which is like okay, that's the you know they, they're declining businesses. So they're they're not like huge parts yeah. of the portfolio already. You're still left with ESPN, um, the theme parks, and then Disney Plus, right? And and just like the general movie catalog and you know the the, the Disney Empire. The, the, the value of that company is still massive. Like it's huge, hundreds of billions of dollars. And I think its market cap right now is like 150 billion to actually buy out as a single company. You need to like pay a premium, so you're looking at like 200 billion. Let's say you've self TV networks, you're still looking at 150 billion dollar acquisition. Apple's yeah. biggest act, Apple's management has so little interest in big acquisitions; it's unreal, right? Like you see Google buy all these companies. You see Facebook buy, you know, WhatsApp for 16 billion, and Amazon buy MGM for eight billion. Like you know, these are, the other big tech companies buy huge amounts left, right, and center. Microsoft's buying Activision for like 69 billion. You know, you, then you look at Apple's balance sheet, and the they have a load of cash, but the biggest thing they've ever bought is Beats for $3 billion. Like, their attitude to acquisition is so far apart from every other big tech company. It's like, another, another tech company is more likely to buy Disney than Apple is. And even that's a very, very, very slender chance. Like, Disney's a huge, huge company that is almost impossible to unwind to a point that you know, Apple would want to acquire it. Like you can't sell off the theme parks. Like the theme parks depend on the content, right? Like there's like such a symbiosis there. It's unreal. And, and Disney doesn't want to sell off the theme parks because the theme parks are doing well. So like, what are you going to sell? Disney plus, but like, it's not, it's, it's one of these things that people like to bandy around. But I think if you actually get practicality, it's so like unrealistic and you have the regulatory environment being very bad Mm -hmm. at the moment for acquisition. Like, you know, amazon got got a lot of scrutiny over the mgm acquisition and that was tiny in comparison and i think the best argument here is that if you if your only argument is like apple should buy Disney to like boost apple tv plus like they've had so many other opportunities to buy stuff if they wanted stuff to boost that service right they could have bought all sorts of things they could have bid for mgm they could have bought a24 when they were you know snooping around they could buy Lionsgate or whatever you know these film studios but they they've Every single time they've re- they've turned it down and refused, and they've just not been interested. And why is there any difference that that's going to change it? I think if you if you want to be optimistic, the best you'll get out of an Apple and Disney relationship is like maybe a cross-content licensing arrangement. Like if Disney needs the money, they'll get like they'll sell some stuff to Apple or something, and you know Apple pay some money, and then you know TV Plus of that content, or maybe they'll share um, sports rights or something. An outright acquisition of their company is just not going to happen.
0: Yeah, so. Something else that made the news this week with Disney was they did an ESPN bet-like announcement to get into gambling and all of that with a company called Penn National. And some of the comments in reply to the story about analysts thinking Apple would buy Disney were kind of into a gray area about whether Apple wants to be associated with a gambling company, which I thought that was a good point, but who knows if ESPN would even be included in what Apple would buy.
1: Have you seen their MLB Friday Night Baseball broadcast? They actually promote true. gambling in the corner, and they have ads of gambling companies constantly. And
0: uh, depending on who you listen to, the app store is full of casino games for yeah. children. But
1: right, if if the ESPN thing was like a big deal, they would just like. like that's not the reason they're not going to buy it. Okay. Oh no. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's plenty of other bigger issues up the chopping block.
0: I think than, the point but, was just saying that that's like going to be a huge part of ESPN's and Disney's business going forward. And Apple would have to offer a premium, theoretically, to make up for that if they had to get rid of it. Anyway.
1: Yeah, and with Apple, like, circling these sports rights, there's been a lot of people who are like, oh, Apple, just buy ESPN off of Disney because I wants to sell everything. Like, what what value does ESPN have to Apple? Like, all ESPN is, all ESPN is, is like an owner of sports rights. Like, when yeah. those sports rights come out from renewal, Apple can bid on the exact same sports rights and get them if they want to because they'll be able to outspend them, like... There is ESPN itself is, like, not valuable without those rights. And those rights will be on the free market, you know, in the next five to ten years as these things expire. So it's not... It just doesn't make
0: sense to me. There was a headline this week that was just something like, Bob Iger is not having fun. Just, <laughs> I guess, in reference to him, him taking back over and now all this selling everything, liquidating.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. Disney's not doing great, but they're not doing badly, you no. know? Like, a lot of this is overhyped. Everyone was... Literally, you can go back to about a year and a half ago, and everyone was like talking about Netflix being dead, you know, like because they had like a bad <laughs> quarter and the, you know their subscribers had fallen, and then they were like doing the advertising tier and everyone freaking out. Uh, like, you know, you for- you fast forward a year and a half, and Netflix is doing just fine. Uh, you know, Apple has bad quarters; they had the big slump in 2018. They rebounded in leaps and bounds, right? Like Disney, in one way, the there will will be sticking around, and their prize possessions are the theme parks and Disney Plus. And I don't think they're going to want to just sell those off to somebody. And even if they did, the amount of money that you're talking about is like way out of the spectrum of what Apple's shown any interest in acquiring.
0: And just to close the loop on this, Disney did announce yesterday that Disney Plus and Hulu are getting more expensive. So that's another way that they can offset whatever problems they're having.
1: Look, streaming services will continue to get more expensive, they don't make money. Like, <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> they can't just keep offering the same service and not making money. They'll add more ads, they'll make you pay more. And that applies to every streaming service, including Apples. So See that's what what's Disney
0: happen. needs to do is set up a very vague services business and then just hide all the losses of your streaming service <laughs> in that. And then you're golden. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody asks questions.
1: Yeah, if if they sold 80 million iPhones a quarter, then they could get away with doing that.
0: <laughs> Happy hour this week
1: is brought to you by Backblaze. Backblaze is simple. Everyone needs to back up their stuff. And Backblaze is exactly that. Unlimited computer backup for Macs, PCs and businesses. Just $7 a month. Get a free trial now at backblaze.com slash happy hour. Back up your documents, your music, your photos, your videos, projects, homework, everything that's on your Mac. And then if disaster strikes, you can restore it all. And it's not just about data recovery because all of your backed up data is also easily viewable from anywhere in the world using Backblaze's web app and they have iOS and Android apps too. So as a cloud service, Backblaze is super convenient. It just runs in the background and keeps all your data safe on their servers in case you need it. But when you do need to get everything back, in cases of disaster, you might not want to rely on your ISP's download speeds. So Backblaze has a solution for that too. You can buy a hard drive restore from them. So what that means is they ship it to you, filled with your data on a physical hard drive, so you can get your terabytes of data copied back off, and then you just send the hard drive back within 30 days for a full refund. What an incredible service. Backblaze is easy and affordable data storage that you can trust. Start your free... Fully featured free trial now at backblaze.com slash happy hour, no credit card required. And if you own a business, you can click on the business backup section on that page to start backing up your business data as well. Don't be the person that forgets to back up your important files. Back up your entire Mac now with Backblaze. Once again, go to backblaze.com slash happy hour now for a fully featured 15-day free trial backblaze.com slash happy hour use that url so they know so they know where you came from and continue to support support the show thanks to backblaze for sponsoring
0: happy hour so apple music has a new discovery station that went live this week so this is something in addition to the the station that's named like your personal station so chance miller's station so the idea is that the Discovery Station will only play music that's new to you. So things that you don't have in your library, I guess. And that includes things from artists you've already listened to and unfamiliar artists that I guess Apple's algorithm thinks you'll enjoy based on that past listening data. The The personalized playlist plays stuff that you've listened to in the past and also throws in some things that you th- that it thinks you might like. So the Discovery Station is there just to remove listening to things you've listened to in the past basically
1: yeah and supposedly it will never play the same song twice suppose oh really to. yeah i mean the personal station you i do like it a lot but you do find that it repeats quite often and it kind mm-hmm. of goes through like it feels like you're listening to the same player if you listen to that, that playlist every day you know a few days in you put you listen to the same thing again um in terms of that station but supposedly the pitch with the discovery station is that it will remember everything it's shown it's it's played you before and never play it to you again uh, so that's why it's discovery right you're always finding something new uh, i think it's a cool idea but yeah. it's kind of like a blessing a curse right because if it's never going to play you songs that you've heard before you might hear something you really like and then like lose it <laughs> you know you have to remember like, to
0: add it as soon as it's while it's playing yeah they do have do a history. history. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But the problem with the history is it's not synced across devices. So, like, you listen to a history on your phone, and then you might, f- like, when you're in the car or something, and then you get to, like, you know, your work or your office or whatever, and you go to your laptop, the history and the music app on your PC will not match what's written on your phone. So, they kind of need that. To, I feel like to make this a lot better, yeah. they just, just, and also it only stores the last, like, 30 songs or whatever. So, like, if you're, you know, on the, if you're playing the Discovery Station for a bit, then you just play, come to your own music, the history will, like, fall off the end and you'll lose it so like i feel like there should be a bit more infrastructure around this feature where it can just always have like a really long history that's like you know sync via iCloud or whatever mm-hmm. so you can always go back and find it and um, because it's a really cool idea that like it will track everything you've ever listened to on a service and only play you new stuff and there's definitely times when you know, you're relaxing or whatever and you, you just want to hear something brand new and it supposedly will pick artists that it thinks you'll like and but it'll always play you songs that you've never heard of before I mean, if you play it through the hundred million catalog of Apple Music, I'm sure it will start repeating itself at some point. But <laughs> at least in my testing, like it doesn't repeat itself, and it played a lot of stuff that I'd you know never even think to play myself. Some of it I liked, some of it I didn't.
0: Um, that's just the way it goes. But it's a cool little addition for sure. Is there a way to like train it as it's playing? I didn't notice this, but I was, when I was listening on the Mac, like if it plays something like you said that you didn't really like, can you give it a thumbs down or anything well, to like- say? Every song
1: like. on Apple Music you can love or suggest less on the little dot dot, dot menu. And oh yeah. That blends into their overall algorithm, but I don't know if it specifically like targets the discovery station if you see what I mean. But anything that gets played algorithmically on Apple Music you can like say if you can like thumbs it up or thumbs it down. Um, but I think it's fair to say that sometimes you thumbs it up and thumbs it down it makes no difference to the algorithm.
0: Yeah, sometimes I think that button doesn't actually do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's there. It's there. It's... One thing I noticed, though, is I don't know where it's getting like your listening data from because it's played a few songs for me that I've listened to in the past and even have in my library. I I was wondering if it's something to do with like it's not tracking songs that you have maybe in iCloud, like in your iCloud music library, like what used to be called iTunes Match, mm-hmm. I guess. So if you have – like I have a pretty decent amount of I- – itunes match content that i've just accumulated over the years and that seemed to be what was getting included in this discovery playlist or this discovery station even though i've listened to it quite a bit in the past i think that happens with
1: almost all the apple music stuff is like if it, if you're yeah. looking at quote-unquote local music that isn't in the apple music catalog the algorithmic features just don't work they just silently ignore those ones yeah. um and then it's like separate to like the apple music library stuff and, but, but it, it, it seems to together enough that you kind of don't notice most of the time yeah. but uh, yeah this is definitely one place where you'd see it the other criticism I have of this launch is that what we just described in terms of what it is and how it works if you're in the music app you literally have no clue It just, <laughs> it, it, you know, on the listen now tab you scroll down to stations for you it has May- Benjamin Mayer station and it has Discovery station there is no description of the Discovery station in terms of what it does for you at all like, you tap on it, it just starts playing music. There's no description or summary. Like, the mu- the mixes at the top, you know, like the friends mix, the things mix, they have little, like, descriptions and summaries below the playlist. But the stations don't have that UI. So uh, there's literally nothing to see. You just click on it and, I guess, hope. And the only way you know what it actually does for you is if you read, like, the 95 Mac article or maybe Apple has, like, a support page about it. But in the app itself, there's no clear, like there's no there's no clear description and there's no clear um call to action to even go and do it so like it's just in that scrolling big you know first tab you might never actually ever click on it if you just a you know random bystander
0: have you tried spotify's ai dj feature i haven't but i've heard it's quite good it's pretty good it's i it's one of the reasons i really keep paying for spotify even though i primarily use apple music it seems like between like the chance miller station in apple music and now this discovery station that apple's like pretty close to being able to replicate the ai dj the difference obviously is that the ai dj on spotify has like the ai voice that transitions you every few songs and explains why it's picking something that it's playing whether that's something you've listened to in the past but haven't listened to for a while yeah it's like it's
1: like chat gpt powered or something right yeah
0: yeah exactly and it's The reason I like that, some people hate it, but the reason I like it is just it'll say, like, we're going to play you this song by this band because you listen to a lot of Coldplay or you listen to a lot of Ed Sheeran or Taylor Swift or whatever. And it kind of makes that connection, which I think that's that's interesting. And it'll say you haven't listened to this song for four years. Like, let's throw it back. That context is nice. And I think Apple could do it with Siri or whatever, but.
1: Yeah, and even if even if that kind of um, additional like metadata, description about why it's recommending it to you, you don't necessarily have to have it like you know synthesize a voice and say it to you. Yeah, that too. You mm-hmm. could just like have it written over like the the songs. It's like you know when the when, when you're looking at like um, the recommendations on Apple Music, some things it's like because you listen to this, we yeah. suggest this. But in a lot of them, it's just here it is. And so it it would be nice if it said like because we think you like then you got this and this. So like these technologies can definitely be applied in different like UI forms. Um, I do think the 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 synthesized voice DJ thing is probably a bit of a gimmick, uh, but the recommendations and the features is you know in general is obviously pretty good. Yeah.
0: And the discover playlist or discover stations available to everyone regardless of whether you're running iOS 17. But there was a new iOS 17 beta this week, beta five. One of the changes, one of the few changes here is live voicemail. So this is the feature that when somebody calls you, you can send it to voicemail and see like a live transcript of the voicemail as the person's leaving it. And then you can choose to pick up the call if what they're saying in the voicemail is something you want to address right then and there. So in the first four betas, this prompt was, after the tone, please say why you're calling the person you are trying to reach might pick up. So this prompt, I guess, was confusing to a lot of people who, I guess there was a level of like passive aggressiveness where if the person didn't pick up, the caller thought maybe that they didn't think they were important enough to have their call answered at that moment. And it was also just unclear for people who are used to the traditional voicemail message and think they're just leaving a voicemail and the person will get to it when they get to it. So in Beta 5, they've changed it to where it just says, your call has been forwarded to voicemail. The person you're trying to reach is not available. At the tone, please record your message. But still, if you have a custom greeting set up for voicemail, it'll play that rather than this vague new live voicemail prompt.
1: So do they have like carry integration to like know that you've set up a voicemail with your carrier?
0: That's a question I've seen other people ask and I don't know. Whatever you've said as your custom greeting with your carrier, they'll use it. Do you, do you know have visual voicemail? Describe visual voicemail.
1: It's like an email inbox. And you
0: like tap oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, yeah. It's in the phone app. Yeah, so I assume that people that
1: don't have visual voicemail, it won't know what your voicemail greeting is.
0: And then it'll just use the default.
1: Yeah, that's my assumption. And the reason I was asking, do you have it, is because... Oh, Outside of the right. US, yeah. it's a lot less um, prevalent. In the UK, only one carrier sports visual voicemail.
0: Really? Yeah, wow. yeah. So when I go have... to the voicemail tab, it just says call voicemail, and it just starts a phone call. <laughs> and you don't have live voicemail either. No, because we don't have visual only voicemail. US and Canada. Yeah. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So we don't have we don't have visual voicemail. We don't have voicemail transcription because that requires visual voicemail, right? Oh yeah. Uh, and we also don't have live voicemail because it only works for the US and Canada.
0: But yeah, this change in beta 5, I think it's probably a good thing. But I feel like if someone calls you and they get this new message and they're leaving a voicemail, then you pick up the call. They're going to be like super confused and wonder how you already knew what they were saying. Because there's no explanation that the person you're calling can hear what you're saying in the voicemail.
1: I think this phrasing is better than the original one. Because the original one made it sound like... The person is actively there all the time and is like (laughs) waiting to approve you to actually speak to them. Yeah. When in a lot of cases, you were just talking to a voicemail. Um, The new system is like you're talking to a voicemail, and if the person does pick up, it's like a nice surprise. It's like, oh, are you talking right now? And the new system will probably um, culturally integrate better so like over time people understand right. that this is happening so they may actually answer earlier whereas the other system kind of sounded more like a cool screening thing where like the person who was calling had to like actively argue their case as to why they want to speak to you and then it was almost like the person on the other end of the phone is saying accept or deny but in a lot of cases uh, the other person just wouldn't be there so you're not left with the person calling like mm-hmm. hanging around waiting for you to answer whereas the new system is just like you know, record your voicemail like you always do but there's a chance that the person uh, might stop talking to you.
0: Yeah, the first time it was my dad who called me after I upgraded to the iOS 17 beta. He got to that live voicemail prompt and he immediately texted me and I was like, this is offensive. People are going to get offended by this. They've got to change it. And sure enough, they've changed it, I guess. So my dad won't get offended when I don't answer his calls anymore. But Well, he still will, but whatever. <laughs> it's another point. But yeah then is there anything else in beta 5 there's some new an- animations for what shazam is that right
1: yeah so you know over time they've been gradually integrating shazam more and more into like a system thing rather than just like you know launch an app for a while it was like it, inside of siri and that, then they added like a control center shortcut to it and now it can like listen to music inside apps as well as with the microphone whatever and in the latest beta, they're basically just in a little refinement so since the iphone 14 pro came out um shazam when you activate it it like does the little identifying animation in the dynamic island um which is cool and then when it would come up with a song the dynamic island would expand and there would be the song result right uh Mm -hmm. well you know it is beta five and out of the blue now when the dynamic island expands to show you the song it has this like fireworks animation that kind of like takes over the album art and then it like slowly fades away It, it looks really cool actually uh who knows why they just randomly added it now but uh i'll take it it's a nice little touch
0: then also in the App Store, they've made a very subtle but something, I guess, that's already confusing or, I don't know, angering some, some people. people. Yeah, <laughs> randomly is that – the so the buttons next to apps in the App Store that say like Git or Open, they used to be all uppercase and now it's just well, – what's like title case where the first letter is capitalized yeah. and the rest is lowercase and you wouldn't think – People would even notice this change, but people do, and apparently, people care, and they don't like it.
1: Get looks a bit weird. I would say, I, you know, I don't think it's like a huge deal one way or the other, but get does look a bit weird when it's not written uppercase for some reason. Like it, like the just this the yeah. word get has always been a bit inelegant because they change originally. You know, the early days, of the app store it would say free, and then as oh, in their purchase right. became so prevalent, they changed it to get instead. Um, probably there's some legal case that went on that actually yeah. motivated that. Uh, because get's always been not a perfect name, because it's like, you're you're getting the app, okay? Is that, if you're getting it, is it free or not? Like, there's always that question mark. And, um, you know, people don't over time what it means, uh, but it was always written, capitalized, like every single letter, and now it's lowercase. Uh, this could be a oversight. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, it just randomly went back to being capitalized in the next beta. Uh, but it does look a bit in the button shape. It, you know, your eyes get used to seeing getting capital letters for so long, and then it goes back down again, and it's like
0: odd but uh you know insignificant in scheme things so it's less aggressive i guess honestly i didn't even notice it so let alone how
1: often do you actually go to the app store exactly yeah pretty pretty uncommon event these days the 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 place you might actually see it now is that spotlight um spotlight search seems to prioritize showing app store results quite often oh really if you go on the iphone you need like pull down or whatever and you start typing on ios 17 if it if it if it matches with an app store app name, it like has this like separate section at the top in like bright blue with a get button right next oh, to it. Oh yeah. I've it's like that. hugely in your face. Um, so you know, clearly Apple's is trying to drive app downloads uh, through that mechanism. Um, but I don't mind that. It's not like an ad, it's just like you know, integration of their services, I guess, or whatever their offerings. Um, but yeah, it does make it pretty in your face. So that might be where you see the the, the lowercase get first. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Every potential new hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available so you can make a decision with confidence. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. LinkedIn is just so ubiquitous. My brother started his first job out of uni last year and I know that LinkedIn was one of the places that you went through, for instance. Uh, so go on LinkedIn Jobs at linkedin.com happyhour happy hour and create a free job post in just minutes. Making a post is really easy. You get started with the title, the job description, place of work and employment type. And you can also list the necessary skills that you're looking for. And when you add your job post, you can add the job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your personal LinkedIn profile to spread the word even more to signal directly that you're hiring and boosting the reach across your personal network so they can help you connect to the right people. When you make the job post, you can add screening questions that filter and focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience for what you're looking for. So you can target the most qualified applicants and quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. And that's just some of the reasons why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs the number one job site in delivering quality hires compared to the leading competition. So find the right team member who can accelerate your business's growth. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash happy hour. That's linkedin.com slash happy hour to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring
0: the show. All right, some rumors about the iPhone 15 event. So first, we heard something that Apple was prepping an event around the third week, second week of September. So we speculated maybe September 13th, and then Bloomberg Smart Gurman said it's looking like September 12th, and it'll be a hybrid event again. So that's members of the media watching at Steve Jobs Theater, then getting hands-on time with the iPhone 15 after the fact. But it'll still be that pre-produced...
1: Still be a video.
0: Video event, yeah, that we'll all be watching from home. Then the, video, German- the
1: videos, they're losing their luster.
0: I'm just yeah, really, you think so?
1: Yeah. I, obviously, during the pandemic, they didn't have a choice, and the novelty was right. like engaging and interesting. But I feel like there's... I, I get less interested in watching the events these days, like in the last like yeah. year or so, just because... The live, the live aspect of it was a bit more thrilling. Like, there was a chance something would go wrong. There was a bit more spontaneity. You know, there was a bit of audience reaction and, you know, someone would clap to something and they respond or, like, Federer, can you make a joke? And, like, now it's just, like, all pre-recorded video. It's like, okay, just show me the press release. <laughs> yeah, like, if you're not going to, like, actually present it, then just show a press release. Like, the video is, of course, incredibly well made. The production value yeah. is insane. I haven't seen another company do the pre-recorded video keynotes as well as Apple has done they all they some of them have tried and they've all failed to like meet the meet the the standard quality but you know you only have to do something so many times and it starts to great and i will say google the google io conference this year was done in person yeah uh, there was you know there was video segments but like Sundar Pichai was on stage introducing everything they would get people out and they would talk to an actual audience and i found that pretty engaging uh, whereas the wwc video was like well, you kinda know what's gonna happen. <laughs> like, so <laughs> it wasn't quite this obviously, like, you know, Vision Pro is more of a surprise and blah, blah 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 blah. But you get what I mean, right? Like I would have preferred it if they'd announced if they'd have done the June event in person, uh, for real. Um I know that's not a popular opinion. I know Apple probably doesn't like it because it's far safer for them to do it this way around, because they can stop yeah. they can eliminate issues like the iPhone ten introduction having that blunder where the face id system had been disabled on oh, yeah. on the test device you know they had to switch to a backup or whatnot but like that's part of the fun right that's part of the appeal
0: uh but seems well, like except they- after the iphone 10 that was one of the biggest things people were talking about was that face ID yeah did it, the
1: the it make the phone do poorly no it
0: didn't yeah no like, yeah.
1: you know and and, and we're never going to get like a turn off all your wi-fi situation again like all that <laughs> stuff and all that interest and just even just like the funny bits happen in between um yeah that's all gone away and so it does make me a bit sad
0: maybe they were just doing the pre-recorded events through like the vision pro era and eventually because that would have been a very hard product to demo and show off during a live event so maybe once we get uh, through vision pro they'll switch i back. think i
1: i think even with vision pro you could do a demonstration where someone's sitting on the couch or the sofa or whatever with a headset on they're doing the motions and then they're projecting on the screen what they're seeing which is basically what they did right like yeah i mean and they actually had the, there was a wwc was it with the imac pro where they did like a vr demo just like that and they had someone oh, walk yeah. around the stage and then they showed what people could see like I, there's a there's a genuine quality to it like the one of the funny things about the vision pro um uh, aftermath was that the Apple exec had to like run around telling the press. You know, what those videos we showed at the Vision Pro UI, that was actually real. <laughs> yeah. Like, we didn't just make it up. Like, <laughs> if you do a, if you do an in person demo on the WWE DC stage, you don't have those problems. You know, like it just feels yeah. a lot more down to earth. But Apple seems to have chosen this direction. Uh, it's it's
0: unfortunate in my opinion. But there you go. So if the event is September twelfth, that would mean pre orders the next Friday, so September fifteenth with a release date on September 22nd. So that's a week later than last year, when the iPhone 14, except the iPhone 14 Plus, went up the prior week for, for purchase. Yeah, the Plus was the first week of October.
1: And it seems like we're anticipating them all to launch on the 22nd. Well, Stun that's what around. I was about
0: to ask, is maybe that week later launches, just because of some of those production issues we talked about earlier, just gives them a little more wiggle room. But from an like an earnings business perspective, it does mean there'll be one fewer week of iPhone fifteen orders in the fourth quarter than there was last year for the iPhone fourteen. So I'm sure that's something we'll hear Apple talk about during their next earnings call.
1: Yeah, they they, they oscillate, don't they, between that third week and that last week, depending yeah. on the situation. Like investors, people, Apple, they're well prepared for that. As long as phone's shipping it September, they're fine. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they're going to be available, and maybe the pros will be slightly more supply constrained out the gate, but that will quickly rectify itself.
0: So are we just expecting, what, Apple Watch Series 9, Apple Watch Ultra 2, and iPhone 15? That's, I think that's all that's on the table for September. And of course, the software, iOS 17 release date and stuff, but... The only question Noah... that
1: maybe is like a little iPad spec bump, like the iPad yeah. Air update or something. They've done that in... know september before they're done in october so it could go go either way but yeah i mean they can fill a they can fill an hour and a half with iphone and apple watch and that'd be a big enough big enough deal because you think the iphone what do you think about the iphone 15 do you think
0: customers are going to like run to it or is it going to be more subdued affair i think it's going to be a more subdued affair but i do think eventually usbc will win people over My assumption is there's going to be a blowback right when they announce they're dropping lightning in favor of USB-C among, like, non-tech nerd people like us. Like, I'm just imagining, like, my local news station covering it and the Facebook post for that story and all of the angry people in the comments. Yep. But I think eventually it'll catch on, and I. but I don't think there's enough changing with the iPhone 15 that a lot of people will... I don't think we're going to see like a super cycle or anything. I think it's probably just going to be the same as the iPhone 14.
1: Yeah, the, the USB-C situation, I've seen some people on Twitter and stuff be like, this is going to cause loads of people to buy it and whatever and move across and, you know, take the USB-C live. I don't think it's going to do that. I don't think it's going to be like a big negative either. Like, yeah, of course, there's going to be those headlines um, yeah normal people are still getting mad about the, the the switch from the 30 pin to the lightning connector, even though it's like a decade <laughs> ago but that still comes up people are like apple changes the charges all the time it's like they did it once but whatever um so that's going to come back around and that'll be like a thing but uh the sales of the phone i would expect to be similar to last year and USB C is like a positive but it's like not a positive that you go out and upgrade for that would be my opinion right. like i don't think you could, i don't think if you have a 13 or a 14 or even like a 12 and it's like well now it's got a different port on the bottom and i like that port so i'm going to go and buy a whole new phone just cuz of the port like most people don't think like that they'll just upgrade when it's time to upgrade and then they'll get the non-proprietary port and then they'll be happy about it eventually
0: i guess the big change for the 15 and the 15 plus is the dynamic island but i don't i think the dynamic island was maybe a selling point last year but i don't think apple's really done enough to Entice more people to make the change just because of the dynamic island. Yeah, I was like surprised there wasn't more in iOS 17. That yeah, takes advantage of the island. So I don't think that's going to be be a big driver, and it'll probably mean what we've seen the past few years, where the 15 Pro and 15 Pro Max are still the most popular.
1: They're going to look the most different, right? Because they're going to get that titanium, that titanium, yeah, slightly different, slightly more rounded corners and stuff. Um, so yeah, I think I think for the most part, probably. Similar to last year's cycle, yeah. which I think is was reported right. Like Bloomberg said, Apple was ordering about eighty-five million, which is yeah. almost the same as what they did the year before.
0: So then there's rumors of an event in October for the first M3 powered Macs. So this would be the entry level 13 inch MacBook Air, the 13 inch MacBook Pro with a Touch Bar, and the 24 inch iMac. And then sometime next year they would do the MacBook Pro 14 and 16 inch. And one of the processors that would be in these machines is the M3 Max. So this week, Bloomberg had some details on the specs of what to expect from the M3 Max, saying a 16-core CPU with a 40-core GPU, 48 gigabytes of RAM, which is an increase of, what, a 12-core CPU, a 38-core GPU, and RAM options of 32, 64, and 96. So, what's that? Four extra CPU cores, two extra GPU cores, and maybe a new middle-of-the-road option for RAM?
1: Not a bad bad upgrade, to be fair.
0: No, that seems pretty good. That's more than I was expecting, because I think right now the expectation is the M3 stays the same. Then the M3 Pro gets, what, two extra cores? So, then the M3 Max gets four extra cores? That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, because going from M1 Max to M2 Max is only two extra cpu cores but yeah now going from m2 max to m3 max is going to be four extra cores and they're all going to be the, the, all the new cores are high efficiency cores right because they're going from eight to twelve so the plus four is high efficiency um not performance um, not the efficiency cores so the high performance cores are um what's getting the boost this time around so that if you're looking for top end specs uh, that's definitely where it's going to come from so 16 core cpe with 12 high performance cores is pretty good uh pretty pretty good and this is going to remember this is going to be the three nanometer um year so you get the you get the get the performance boost from that too Uh, so i was quite surprised when he said it was gonna be 16 cores because i was expecting like 14 cores or something um so a couple of extra cores in there and you're going to get m3 fabrication um improvements from the three nanometers versus the five nanometers we have now and then max ram uh, probably going up because maybe that 48 gigs the new baseline instead of 32 and then because right now you can get 96 gigs of ram uh, but if it's going to 48 base then you'll get to like 120 or something and um, and then the the gpu situation where it's it's only getting two extra cores but because the fabrication size is going down you'll probably get a quite a lot of raw gpu performance uh, through that because when they make when fab size gets smaller the distance between transistors gets smaller which means less heat more opportunity to pack in high density, and then there's literally less distance for the data to travel around. So you just end up with a faster machine overall. So I'm looking forward to that generation. I think
0: the M3 Max is pretty interesting. And the M3 Max is then what would also presumably come to the Mac Studio, along with a M3 Ultra. And maybe
1: we the 30-inch iMac.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And the Mac Pro, if it lives on to see another generation, it would be the M3 Ultra in that one. So, yeah, it's shaping up to be a big upgrade. Then, finally, this week, we have some details on the Pac-12, which we talked about last week. Apple was in talks to acquire the rights to streaming Pac-12 games, what, in 2025? Is that right? 2024? 2024, I think, yeah. 2024, but then... Basically, a couple days after we recorded that episode, the Pac-12 basically fell apart. So Arizona, Oregon, Washington, Arizona State, and Utah all announced they were leaving the Pac-12. Some of them are going to the Big 12 and the Big 10, both of which have more teams than 12 and 10 now. It's kind of chaos, but... And they left because of the deal, right? Like, Right, Exactly.
1: These schools don't like the idea of an all streaming situation. They want exposure for their students. They want exposure for themselves. Uh, they see going to behind a streaming paywall like MLS season pass has done uh, limits their exposure. Whereas before, um, college sports got pretty good showing on you know cable TV. Uh, so it was a mixture of like moving to streaming only or you know predominantly streaming deal with Apple, and also the the money was you know always a negotiation thing. But the the big 12 has a more lucrative media deal which pays about 30 million i think for the schools uh, whereas the pac 12 offer was 23 million uh, plus then in- incentives if subscriber uh, milestones were met so at base they were getting 23 million but if they sold like 5 million subscriptions whatever, then they'd exceed the 30 million the big 12 got but the obviously there's risk there cuz they might not sell that many but i think i think the the streaming only option was the big was the big kicker a lot of these schools um had kind of been strung along by the pact of management that there would be a there'd be like the apple deal and then there'd also be right. a competit- like a, a, a more traditional deal maybe with like a, a subset of games off to apple in more of like an mlb arrangement uh but for whatever reason that deal didn't come to fruition so all they were left with was the apple only deal and in response to that the schools are like well we're 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 leaving
0: <laughs> the arizona president had a funny quote basically talking about the incentive portion of the deal where the school would be responsible for promoting the package and getting people to subscribe. And he said they thought that it was going to be like selling candy bars for Little League or Girl Scout cookies, which I guess is a good way of putting it when you're going to have to go out and kind of shill to get people to pay monthly to watch the events. But at the same time, they lost everything because they were so so opposed to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the friction. This is the tension of the slow decline of cable which is kind of what you know dovetails into the D- the disney discussion from earlier right it's like these kind com- these companies were raking in millions of subscribers every month a hundred dollars each or whatever and then sublicensing each different little bit out whether the person who was paying it watched it or not right and so you're moving away from that traditional cable model to a more like on-demand you know direct-to-consumer model where the consumers have to pay for which for which slices of the pie they want and that naturally means that there's more cost involved per user or at least that's how it feels like because you've got to get a subscription for each little bit you want whereas before you'd kind of lazily pay one subscription and then kind of forget about the details of it right and then um, that also means less people are going to watch because instead of being on the you know 100 list of channels you can freely sofa surf between you have to actively go out and get a subscription but that seems like the way this is all all heading Uh, the college sports were just kind of not ready for it yet and they think the the Big Twelve, which has a more traditional media deal, at least for now, um, is letting them in, so they're going there instead. And who knows? Who knows what's going to go with the <laughs> remainder of the the Pac twelve situation? They might get some other schools, or they might just collapse all together. I think the Apple deal is off the table for now, though, until they figure out what's going on. Well,
0: yeah, there's only four t- four schools left in the Pac twelve now. So, I w- some of the teams went to the Big Ten, and I was just reading that the deal that the Big Ten did, which has sixteen schools. Each of those schools will receive just a flat $75 million annually from their media rights. I mean, and that is not incentive based at all. And they're still, but they're still like the incentives of, of college football playoffs, bowl games, the NCAA tournaments. The schools that jump ship to the Big Ten and the Big 12. You can't blame them at all because whatever the Pac-12 was negotiating was not anywhere near what that was what that offer was.
1: And, unless it got lots of subscriptions, like I think if they got like something like seven million, then they each could be making like fifty million. So like it like it's a complicated arrangement. And my again, I'm not super into this side of stuff, but my kind of like long view was that a lot of the main the main pause was the streaming only situation Uh, because these schools make money in many different ways from these sports right like it's not just the media deal that you know gives them the revenue yeah so i think a lot of these schools um were not turned like obviously everyone wants more money but they weren't like that wasn't like the biggest sticking point i think the just the lack of exposure on like traditional tv uh is the big question mark
0: and for the athletes too their the ncaa lets athletes make money off like their likeness now so they can do i think like sponsorships and all of that themselves and i would assume athletes would rather be on national television than on a streaming service for that purpose too exactly yeah eyeballs there's just so many moving parts yeah, yeah. do you think apple handled this right should they have just dumped more money on them or did they uh, give when them is what apple they
1: did, like when does apple just yeah dump money on people like they they come in with clearly having an idea about what they want there's not really much room for negotiation. You can take it or leave it, and they left it. And then, like, okay, we'll go and do something else. You know, like they they Apple's in a position where all of these deals they'll go like every time there's a sports deal in the air, it's like Apple's talking to them. And like that, we even heard it this week yeah. about the the local NBA situation with the you know demise of Bally Sports. Like there were rights coming up there from bankruptcy, and you know it was like Apple, Amazon, everyone else is in talks to get them. It's like they're always in talks, but they they only jump at stuff very rarely, um, and when it, when it suits them. So. I think they probably handled this like they handled all their other deals. Like They knew what they wanted and they didn't get it, so that's it.
0: All right, I think that does it for this week. You can find us on Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a rating and a review. And you can find an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. You can send us feedback, happy hour at 9to5mac.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Mastodon, and threads at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, where are you?
1: All those same places at beez Mayo. All
0: right. Thanks, Mayo.
1: Bye-bye.